This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Cardinals broadcaster Chip Carey on his early impression of baseball's new rules. One thing I've noticed is when we're watching these games, I'm not seeing fans on their cell phones. I'm not seeing fans shooting video with their cell phones. I'm seeing fans actually engaging with the game. Plus, what's it like living with that legendary last name? Plus, Drew reflects back on the Masters, Tiger Woods, and of course, your Rockies. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. Glad you're along as always. It is show number 197. And if you're a regular listener, you're saying Goodman's losing his mind yet again. He said it was show 90, 197 last week. Um, you are correct. I erroneously said last week's show was 197. It was actually 196. I lost count. So this week is 197. Starting out with some sad news, not that we need sad news, there's so much of it around, but um, I think you'll all be able to relate to this. Lost my best girl, Stella, my, my English sheepdog a few days ago. We had to put her down and man, I was just devastated. Can't tell you how many walks we went on, thousands of them, and what a companion she has been to uh, everyone in our family, naturally. Um, But a lot of stuff over the last few years, I'm sure for all of us, I had a lot of stuff on my plate, a lot of changes in my life. And uh, she was was a rock, man. She was my my therapy uh, dog. And as I've said many, many times, my... um, my favorite thing to say about dogs are dogs are the best humans on earth. So there, uh, rest well, Stella, rest well. Got uh, a birthday coming up on Thursday. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big one on a number is a number. Uh, especially when it comes to birthdays. And and I really don't pay great attention to things. I believe, you know, you're as old as you feel and and all of those other cliches. And I try to live my life that way. Um, If you know me, you know, I'd love to work out, you know, a couple times a day. I'm not so about that. And I like to like to be around young people. That's one of the things I love about sports is you're interacting with young people who are at their height of their athletic powers. And um, and I'm so thankful to work in that industry. And so I've always felt young, uh, hopefully look young, maybe not as young as I I used to look. But uh, the big six O's coming up this week. And and I'll be honest, made me pause, made me pause just uh, for a moment. I'll barrel through it. I'll open up the day with uh, a nice run in, in Seattle and and get a lift in and then uh, it's a day off so I'm looking forward to a good meal and and wandering around hopefully the weather holds but um, there are certain birthdays I think for all of us that make us pause and reflect and it's also interesting to note for those of you that are much younger who listen to the podcast when you're really young you think man 60 those folks are old well um, on the precipice of 60, I can tell you 60 ain't old, ain't old at all. Whole lot of life left, a lot of chapters left, and I'm excited about uh, those and looking forward to tackle those. Um, but as I said a moment ago, it, it is a number that uh, makes you go, okay, let me think about this a little bit more. Uh, I did a little bit at 50, but uh, I wasn't doing a podcast then. I don't know if I would have 
spend a couple of moments speaking to all of you about that. Don't usually mention my own birthday. The folks I work with are kind enough to always, uh, you know, celebrate with me because we're usually in the middle of a Rockies game somewhere. Um, but um, it is a number that um, makes you write in your journal. And so I was giving you a little verbal journal. Okay, moving on to sports. I want to start in golf. Uh, my favorite golf tournament and and your favorite golf tournament, I think, as well, as well is the Masters. And the reason I, I think I can confidently say that is I saw some numbers, viewership numbers on the Masters over the last few years, and they double what the numbers are for the U.S. Open, for the PGA Championship, and for the Open Championship um, over the pond. They double them, the other three majors. Uh, we love Augusta. Um, most of us have never been there. Um, it is on my bucket list. I've never been there. Uh, I, I'm going to take some time off during a, an upcoming Rocky season. Love to go with my boys and wander those grounds. I know a lot of people who have been there, both as fans and, and friends of mine in the business who've worked uh, many masters. And they all say two things. I mean, every one of them say the same thing, whether they were working there or, or they were patrons. They say, number one, it is far hillier and the grounds undulate uh, more than TV represents. And the other thing is, it, as beautiful as it appears on television with the azaleas and uh, you know, just immaculate uh, grounds. It is even more so when you get there, when you're when you're wandering around. So I look forward to doing that at, at some point in time. The Masters was a good theater, uh, bad weather the the last or the middle, I guess, day and a half. Trees coming down, and you had to finish it on Sunday with the the completion of the third round prior to getting uh, to the fourth round. John Rahm wins it, as you know, and John Rahm has become the preeminent golfer in the world. Scotty Scheffler's right there. Uh, you know, I, I was hoping Rory McIlroy, because I'm a big Rory McIlroy fan, uh, was able to make a run. He didn't make the cut. He shot 77 uh, one day. The other storyline was the live golfers. How would the live golfers perform? I mean, after all, they don't have the same competition level. At least we think they don't because they're playing 54 holes on their tour. It's a shotgun start, so it's one round less. They're all guaranteed to get paid. So, all right, I didn't win, but I'm still, you know, making a nice paycheck. Boy, I didn't play well at all. I still make a nice paycheck, which is um, not the same as I think uh, we all know out on the PGA Tour. But the live golfers performed exceptionally well. Three of the top six golfers at the Masters were live performers, and Brooks Kepka looked for a good portion of the tournament like he was going to win again, and we know how good he's been in majors. Uh, my takeaway, in addition to those guys performing well, and Phil Mickelson at, at what is he, 52 or 53, shooting 65 on Sunday, finishing uh, minus eight, uh, right there in the in the top three uh, or four was that we always use the golf cliche. Oh, that's a good leaderboard. You know, in 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 the broadcasting vernacular, it's a good leaderboard, which means there's a lot of big names up there. 
Well, that's what that's what the sport's about. It's about names that we can either relate to or we've seen perform before, and we gravitate to names, especially in the sport of golf. And they were populating that leaderboard. And guess what? Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with the Saudi back tour and the money that they're throwing around and you politicize it or not, Phil Mickelson is a huge name. Brooks Kepka is a huge name. Patrick Reed, big name. Dustin Johnson, who was just okay in the tournament, huge name. And the majors, if nothing else, are better when there are more big names up there. And I know that Liv has some guys that are way past their prime. Phil Mickelson, you'd think, is past his prime, but he had you know, a great tournament. But it was good to see Kepka up there because Kepka's always been captivating. He's built in the Tiger mode. You know, big physical, strong, weightlifting, uh, you know, fit guy that in the biggest moments has always performed really well. That's why he's already won four major championships. So for me... I thought it was a good thing that those guys were there um, because they, they ended up playing well and they made a much more exciting leaderboard. Tiger was there, and we know what happened with Tiger. He had to withdraw. I think you all sense the same thing I do. This is probably the end or very close to it for Tiger. And when I say that, I'm not suggesting you know he doesn't try to tee it up again this year and in the other majors. I think he will. But if we see more of what we saw at Augusta, where, yes, he can hit all the shots. We see him hit beautiful shots. Uh, his close friends, like Rory McIlroy and, and Justin Thomas, all tell us, and they're not just being kind to Tiger, that when they go out and play with him, he can hit all the shots. But they're also honest in saying it has nothing to do with that. It's the ability to walk you know, 18 holes, four straight days. And especially at Augusta where, you know, he has a PhD, he's won five of them. He knows the golf course backwards and forwards. But, you know, that is such a a hilly course as we were discussing. It's hard on him. Um, But just, you know, walking, even when it was flat, like at the old course at St. Andrews, and I had the good fortune of playing there, it's flat. It's not long. That's an easy walk. It's still hard on him. And Tiger Woods will never, ever be a ceremonial golfer. I've always liked Freddie Couples, speaking of guys who are close with Tiger, speaking of guys who play a lot of rounds with Tiger. Always loved Freddie Couples. Loved loved looking at his swing. It, It was so effortless and easy. Kind of reminds you when you're out on the golf course, hey, easy, nice comfortable tempo. Love Freddie Couples. You know, Freddie's basically a ceremonial golfer and he'll raise his hand and tell you that. He had, you know, he always makes the cut and and he was actually playing pretty well. And then by Sunday, you know, he gets tired and he shoots in the mid seventies or whatever the heck he shot. But, you know, Freddie's one of the guys and he goes out there. Tiger has become more of one of the guys here as he's matured later in life. But he still has, when it comes to competition, the eye of the tiger and a standard that he set that was unrivaled. And he doesn't want to wander around a golf course and, and, you know, and, and yuck it up a little bit. No, I made the cut, and boy, isn't that nice? And, 
and you know I'm going to go shoot 74 on Sunday and you know finish uh, you know plus plus six on the leaderboard or whatever it is. I'm not even on the leaderboard. That ain't going to happen. That's not who he is. That's not who we fell in love with. That's not who we've admired. That's not who is one of the iconic athletes in any sport in the history of modern sports. It's not him. He may just go off into the oblivion, you know, build golf courses and, and live his life. We are not far from that. Because even the networks, and when he's playing, you know, you drum up, uh, you know, these these well-written essays about Tiger and what he's meant to the sport, and he's going to come back because he's had so many comebacks. He's getting older. The leg does not work as he, you know, points out every time he's asked, nearly was amputated after the car accident. I just don't think, as badly as I want it, because you know I'm a huge, huge, huge Tiger fan, as badly as I want it. I don't think it's happening, and, and I think the days are really numbered where he tees it up, and we're not far from that. Maybe it's a press conference. Maybe he just announces it on his social media platforms that, you know, it's been a great, great run, and I'm going to continue to be a dad and, you know, continue with some other ventures in the golf world, host his events. We'll see him maybe on occasion. But that's it in terms of competitive golf. He'll play with his buddies where he can be in a golf cart. But we won't be privy uh, to watching him play in tournaments. I don't think we're far from that. And it's sad. It's sad. But um, at some point, it was going to come. On to baseball and the Rockies as we tape this on a Tuesday afternoon. Rockies played a really good ball game last night and beating the Cardinals 7-4 other than a drop fly ball by uh, Jerks and Profar. And that's the game, man. Profar made two sensational catches uh, a few days ago and then he dropped a routine ball. But fortunately, it didn't cost the Rockies. But uh, the reason I, I make mention of that is other than that drop fly ball, I thought the Rockies played uh, their best game of the year. Uh, they had timely hits. They produced seven runs. Um, Herman pitched very well. Now our fingers are crossed that the, the forearm tightness is not something significant. He pitched only five innings, came off the mound in the sixth uh, with the aforementioned uh, forearm tightness. Uh, the bullpen, Brent Suter, stepped right in, two good innings. Uh, and then Justin Lawrence, the last two innings. And as I said, timely hitting. Uh, and you beat a good club. Split with a not-so-good club in Washington um, and win the first game against Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, and the talent-laden St. Louis Cardinals. The the thing that jumped out at me about the ball game, in addition to I thought it was a pretty complete game, were Montero, Elleris Montero, the former Cardinal farmhand, hit the ball really hard. Um, he's a guy that for the Rockies to help start to make that next step and, and then bring some of these other young players around. He's a young player that you hope can be a, you know, honestly, a 25 homer, you know, RBI guy. He's never going to be a great third baseman, but can he be, you know, a plus offensive player? We've seen glimpses of that. Has to stay off the slider. Um, he identified it better, at least for one night Tuesday, than he did uh, in a couple of ball games over the weekend where there were quick at-bats, where if it's spinning, he's swinging, and oftentimes he's not making contact. Uh, but uh, had a good game last night. The other kid who had a good game, and we're going to talk a lot about him uh, during the year, is Ezekiel Tovar. 
He's 21. He's the next shortstop for the Rockies. He threw out a couple of doubles, first uh, game in his young career that he's had multiple extra base hit games. Um, he's hit with, um, with with the count in favor of the pitcher, behind in the count um, early in his career. Had a double early in the game yesterday on a 1-2 pitch. Uh, against Steven Matz. I was impressed with that. And maybe the most impressive thing about him, because there's been a play here or there that you wish he would have made defensively, but he, you, you know it's in the toolbox. But the thing that I'm warming to is he is undaunted. He is focused. I see him around the batting cage every day. I mean, he has a smile on his face, but he's not, I'm just happy to be here that kind of smile. There's a confidence and a purpose to how he goes about his business. And I think the veteran players recognize that. I watched him after the 27th out yesterday. And the first guy to put his arm around him was a guy who's got leadership characteristics, developing those who's now been around for a while. And that's his double play mate, Ryan McMahon. And, and Matt came in later in the ballgame defensively, didn't start against the left-hander Mats, but he went right over to Tovar after the 27th out, and he put his arm around him. And you can tell how much he um, appreciates the maturity, the focus, the drive of this young guy, and he's going to keep getting better and better. He's going to take his lumps. That's what the sport of baseball does, especially at the highest level. But I'm excited, uh, as I've told you really throughout the winter, to watch him play every day and to watch that development. And you all as Rockies fans, I think, um, will we'll come to appreciate that uh, if you don't already uh, as well. All right, on to uh, our subject of the day, our guest of the day. He's uh, a, a, a name that is synonymous with baseball broadcasting because it's been three generations and it's going to be four because he has uh, a couple of sons who are embarking on the broadcast business as well. And that's the name Carey. And in this case, Chip Carey, who recently moved after a long tenure in Atlanta where his dad, Skip, had a great run. He's now the television voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. He's a friend, and uh, we love to chop it up and, and talk about the business and the game of baseball. Chip Carey of the Cardinals. So many times has somebody like me asked you, have you uttered the Braves <laughs> on a Cardinals broadcast? I mean, it, you know, well, you yeah. get a couple passes, dude, right? Yeah, I, I did it one time, and I laughed, and I said, well, it's spring training for the announcers, too. Uh, it is weird, Drew, because, you know, you spend 20 years of your life in one place, it just becomes automatic, right? I'm sure you couldn't imagine not doing the Rockies games, and you're going to do the Arizona Diamondbacks broadcast. It's going to just pop out the way that it pops out. Uh, but believe me, there. Um, let's just say there were two words that I knew I did didn't want to say one of them was Braves, and I'll let you use your imagination as to what the other one is. Yeah, I, I, I will. I will say this: when I first got started, because I grew up in New York, as you know, and right. I was a Mets fan growing sure. up, I was, I was always worried, you know, something Mets would come out, especially in the early days when the Rockies played the Mets. Not to get excited if you know David Wright hit a homer or something. Yeah, right? it's funny you say that because the second series that I did with the Cardinals, we hosted 
the Braves in Atlanta. And Austin Riley came up in the first game, and he hit a ball to the concourse at Bush Stadium, like 475 feet. And I go, there's a drive. And Austin Riley hits a home run, right? <laughs> so all my friends in Atlanta heard the call, and they said, God, that sounded weird. You really have uh, you turned the page, as it were. And so, yeah, I mean, all those things that are instinctive and so much a part of your life. I mean, look, as I said, 20 years of my life was spent in Atlanta in one way, shape, or form with the Braves. Um, that's the hardest part of making this transition. But going to a place like St. Louis where I grew up and understand the culture and the people have been so welcoming has made that very, very easy. You have carved out a great career, and I'm, I'm saying it to, oh, to embarrass you. You have. And I imagine it wasn't as easy as some people on the outside may say, well, he's a carry and, you know, his grandfather, his grandfather who... And because you've been on before, I'll say you didn't really know your grandfather growing up. And a lot of people don't realize that Uh, your dad obviously was a legend in Atlanta. Um, Was it I I know you're proud of your name, but was it also a burden a little bit to a degree? I mean, when when I was getting started and this will this will date me, you know, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Um, When I was growing up in St. Louis, um, cable TV was just starting to penetrate West County where I grew up. And in 81, 82, I was one of the kids that would come home from school, flip on the TV. And there's this goofy old man with the big glasses singing out a key at Wrigley Field. I'd go do baseball practice, homework, have dinner, come back. And then the Braves were on TBS at night playing the Dodgers or the Giants. The Braves were in the National League West for many, many years, as your fans, I'm sure, know. So for me, the challenge was, okay, my dad's on TV nationally every day. My grandfather's on TV every day nationally. And I want to try to do this and find my own way. And I can barely tie my shoes, much less say ground ball to second. So that was the real challenge. And yes, there are going to be people who hate because of the last name. And I'm the first to admit that it has opened innumerable doors that probably wouldn't have been opened if my name was Smith, Jones, or Brown. Uh, But as you know, this is ultimately a performance and personality-driven business. When the light goes on and they say it's time to talk, you can either do it or you can't. And they helped train me to understand that you got to be you. Don't try to imitate Skip or Harry. It's like kids, I'm sure you've heard a zillion tapes of people out west who want to sound exactly like Vin Scully. Why? There's only one. He's the poet laureate of baseball. There'll never be another one of them. So, um, yeah, I I learned quickly that that the name is going to open doors. Um, The people that understand that it's no different than a a doctor in the family having a son or daughter follow in those footsteps, we just happen to do it on TV and cover a sport and – do a job that's really, really fun. And once those people are accepting, you sort of learn to tune out the people that are just jealous of the opportunity that you have to do something great and fun and entertaining. Yeah, the first piece of advice I give, and you, you have two sons who are um, advancing along. Yep. They've uh, been in minor league baseball. I have a son who aspires to do this. And the first piece of advice that um, I give all young broadcasters, and I'm, uh, I'd be shocked if it wasn't the same as you, and that is be yourself. Absolutely. And I'm sure you've worked in work environments where that isn't allowed. Uh, I have. And that's really, really constricting because ultimately, as I said, people at home know when you're you're BSing them and uh, doing TV like we do. The pictures don't lie. 
And I think if people understand that we have uh, a stake in the game and that we want our teams to win every single game they play, it makes our job a lot more easy. Uh, it makes it a lot more fun, but we have no control over it. And it's very, very important to me, as I'm sure it is for you, to be honest with the audience because you're not honest. You don't respect them. And as we know, honesty is the sincerest form of respect. And I, I think uh, uh, that's served you well. I hope it continues to serve me well and hopefully uh, my sons as well in Amarillo. Yeah, and I uh, often say this, you control the controllables. I tell my boys this. I've told kids I coach this, control the controllables. Uh, yeah, every team you do, you want to see them go 162-0. and 0. That's understandable, but we don't control that. That's right. And uh, the things that, that uh, the GMs and the managers stress about, those are things that we have the good fortune to be able to laugh about or, or laugh off, as it were. It's a long season. It's hard. And, um, you know, when you have partners who let you be yourself, like you said, that you just have a conversation, two guys in a bar talking about a baseball game or even the other team if things aren't going well or the beautiful day or the pretty girl or the handsome guy in the stands, um, that's the essence of our sport. And I think that's what made the, the WGN broadcast, the WTBS broadcast so endearing for people. They were national games and they knew what was going on. They had their fingers on the pulse of baseball and their team. But they had fun and they humanized themselves and they were able to um, uh, poke fun at themselves. And they were just wonderful, welcomed guests into everybody's uh, household during the day and the night. And year after year, night after night, people look forward to seeing Skip and Pete and Ernie or Harry and Steve Stone do their thing because they were you know, part of the family. And ultimately, the, 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 the executives who understand that and nurture that, I think, are the ones that really have their fingers on the pulse of how this job has to be done. You when I first met doing the NBA, you yeah. were doing Orlando. I was doing the Nuggets, and um, a blast, a lot of fun. Right. We've done, we've done, we've been fortunate. We've done college football, NFL. We've done all these different sports. The beauty of baseball, from a broadcasting standpoint, is what you touched on. You can tell stories that have nuance to them. That um, I like to say, you know, you can tell a story about. You know, you have a great young man in, in right field and Jordan Walker, mm-hmm. and you can tell a story about his parents and they met in Boston. Ones at Harvard, ones at MIT, and you can maybe get in the in-laws. In hoops, you're like Jordan Walker's from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and a jumper from twenty. You know, yeah. it, it's it's different, but that's the beauty of the baseball broadcast. And unfortunately or maybe fortunately, depending on your perspective, because we get paid the same whether it's an hour and a half or a five and a half hour game. Some of that's being lost with the way that the game's being played this year. Um, you know, that is what makes baseball so special is Jack Flaherty idolized Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson took him under his wing and saw him pitch in the playoffs and loved how he buzzed the tower with Ronald Acuna Jr. and called him. And, and Jack Flaherty, finding out Bob Gibson passed, was crying on the team bus, wore a Bob Gibson jersey on the plane. Those are the stories that that are generational ones that we, we pass down. Uh, look, family aside, you know, that's the beauty of our game is what Jordan Walker is doing now. We're tying that back to Ted Williams in 1939, right? And so some of the ability to tell those stories in full depth is being lost. But you're right. That's what makes our sport so great. What happened in 2023 has uh, moments and images that resonated in 1939. And people of our age and even younger can't possibly imagine that until you really dig down and, and 
feel it, not just watch it. Yeah, and as I said, Jordan, last night on the air, you know, Jordan Walker's now two in front, or two from tying my favorite comedian, perhaps, of all time, <laughs> Eddie Murphy, who I didn't, who knew this in 1912, or whatever year it was, hitting his first 12 ball games. I loved him in Coming to America. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, but, and that's what's so great, right? Uh, you know, the, the Eddie Murphy was honest Eddie Murphy, because apparently he didn't, he didn't partake in any of the gambling stuff that was going on with Connie Mack and his Philadelphia right. A's, right? I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I love talking about, not not to supersede what's happening, because ultimately our job is to talk about the game. But what makes your broadcast so good, and hopefully ours as well, is we're old enough to understand the importance of that stuff, and we're smart enough not to get bogged down by it. Because ultimately, the kids that are watching today, they're, they think and work and live in five-second, five-minute snippets. Bob Gibson, who's that, right? Dante Bichette, who the heck is he? Well, it's our job to educate them and tell them who that is so that they can see and understand the history of your great franchise and 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 fall in love with the, the franchise in St. Louis like I did as a as a kid. Our kids are growing up and you know, again, your two boys are working now right. in the industry. Um, my boys played college baseball, and they love the sport, and they are into the sport. And Rob Manfred rightly is trying to make sure that that the next generation thinks like we do and loves the game mm-hmm. like we do. But because they view things differently, where, yeah, they saw the highlight, great catch Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, oh my goodness, what a splitter he threw. Oh, he hit the ball over the moon last night. They see all those things, right. but they don't watch it. They don't watch it from a sequence standpoint. Do you see that coming back where folks of our age and the generations that preceded us, how they took in a game? I think so, because I think the pace of play is really going to help that. Think of it this way. Forget us. Forget even our, our adult kids. You're a mother and father, and you've got a five-year-old, a six-year-old, and a seven-year-old, and it's a Wednesday night, and they've got school tomorrow. The game starts at 6.15, and they decide, well, you know what? Let's go to the ball game. They can go to the game, come have dinner, watch the ball game, and be home by 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night. And that's a little late, obviously, but still they have a fighting chance to not exhaust their family because there's something always happening. One thing I've noticed is when we're watching these games, I'm not seeing fans on their cell phones. I'm not seeing fans shooting video with their cell phones. I'm seeing fans actually engaging with the game. And so for that six, seven, eight-year-old kid that I was talking about, they have their first hot dog. They see the field. They have a Coke or a Pepsi or whatever it is at the ballpark. Mom and dad have a beer, and they can sit and talk, and the kids are, are, are paying attention. And maybe a baseball player comes up and gives them a baseball. When you see a kid's face, when a big league player hands him a ball or signs an autograph, you're making a fan for life. And I think that we're seeing more and more of that from the young players that are coming up. They understand what that's like. And because five years ago, they were one of those kids. They're coming up at seven, at 18, 19, 20, 21 years old and doing things at the major league level that were unheard of, which is great for our game. So I'm seeing more and more people engaging. I'm seeing more and more people actually paying attention to the game and not their phones. And, you know, as you just said, if Otani does something or, uh, you know, Charlie Blackman does something special, you're going to hook a fan for life. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do. More with Drew and Cardinals broadcaster Chip Carey right after this. 
Steel Products. They're the best. S-T-I-H-L. And they have a dealer right around the corner from you. It's April. It's time to get that yard fixed up. Time to get the program going around your house and get things in uh, tip-top shape with the summer right around the corner. Go to SteelUSA.com or SteelDealers.com to find the dealership that is closest to you and check out their website, man. They have literally every product you can imagine and many you could not that will help you spruce up the garden, spruce up the backyard, the front yard, make you the envy of the neighborhood. That's Steel, S-T-I-H-L, SteelDealers.com, SteelUSA.com. It's baseball season, which means I'm probably tripling up on my Boyer's coffee these days. See, I have at least one in the morning and maybe another one. But when I get to the ballpark, I'm definitely having my mocha from Boyer's Coffee. You know, they have a cafe on the club level. Outstanding. It's busy, too, uh, because their coffee's great. You can get it at home, as I do. Go to boyerscoffee.com. They have a multitude of great flavors, and they've been brewing wonderful coffee since the mid-60s here in Colorado, and they're a huge, huge partner of the Colorado Rockies and uh, and our little podcast as well. We greatly appreciate Boyer's Coffee. So go check them out and have uh, great coffee delivered to your house or find it at uh, one of your favorite markets, boyerscoffee.com. Now back to Drew and Chip Carey. You know, it's interesting for me, looking at your career, you in Chicago, no. iconic franchise, Atlanta, iconic franchise, and great history. And then when I think of St. Louis, and they always do it right, the Clydesdales on opening day, oh, and, and I've said this many times on the occasion where the Rockies are there and there's a special event for St. Louis, um, I, I think we were there over an old-timers day at one point, and I, and I said on the air, they can throw an old-timers game. And it's great for, for the Rockies. I mean, we're in our 31st season on the field and starting to develop, you know, some history. I mean, but the Cardinals. Yeah. I mean, as I said, they can throw an old-timers day. You know, I'm 58, and I grew up in St. Louis and went there all the way through high school. I never went to an opening day as a kid, ever. And, you know, my grandfather worked there, for God's sakes. Uh, I think I was conceived after a game at Sportsman's Park, if I did the math right. Um, But my wife came up to see this. And for the first time in 20-plus years, she's really excited about the the trajectory of my career. She's as invested in this as I am. And she said, what should I expect? I said, I'm not going to tell you anything. I want you to just watch it. And on opening day in St. Louis, they had beautiful weather, sunny Temperature was in the 50s, 60s, no wind, but it was a beautiful blue sky day in St. Louis. And those horses came out, and they started playing the the Budweiser theme song. They're giving the freaking horses a standing ovation. And my wife is is filming this, and she said, oh, my God, that was the most amazing thing. And after that, the Living Cardinals Hall of Famers come out, and Whitey Herzog, and Ozzie Smith, and the tribute to Tim McCarver and Bruce Suter, who passed— you know, anybody who loves baseball, whether you're a Cardinal fan or not, you see that and they come out in their crimson jackets and they're on the convertibles and waving to people. And it brings back all those floods of memories. For me, Ted Simmons was my guy. He was there. And, you know, it was hard for me not to shed a tear thinking, oh, my God, now I understand why, you know, and, and people who aren't from there derisively talk about it, why they call it baseball heaven and why they are the best fans in baseball. They feel it. They don't just experience it. They truly feel it because these guys 
were the soundtracks of their childhoods. And no matter how old they get, they remember Ozzy Smith doing the backflip and Ted Simmons switch hitting and the long flowing hair. And when Bob Gibson was with us and Lou Brock, those are people that bring back generational memories, as we were talking earlier. And, and those never, ever die. And that's what makes that place so special. People ask me, and if they ask me, they certainly have asked you, hey, do you get nervous anymore? And it's like, this is what we do. So it's night after night. And you, know, you get an adrenaline flow. We, we you're kind of narrating a ball game. And so there's a performance element, but there aren't nerves. But for you, making the transition as long as you've done it, when it was, as you described, opening day in St. Louis, were there some butterflies? Oh, yeah. First thing I said to myself was, please, God, don't let me screw this up. <laughs> uh, of course there were. Yeah. Um, look, uh, Danny McLaughlin's a friend of both of ours. Um, you know, <laughs> What happened to him is a tragedy. You know, love these, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. Um, you know, I, I, the worst part of this is that it came at his demise, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, but if someone was going to take the job, I, I would choose me. Um, but yes, opening day was special uh, to be welcomed into a fraternity of broadcasters: Jack Buck, Joe Garagiola, Jay Randolph, Harry Carey, Dan McLaughlin. Uh, John Rooney, Mike Shannon, to be welcomed to that group and to sit in that chair. It was humbling. And it, it still, in many ways, Drew, hasn't hit me fully. Um, I understand the responsibility of the chair. The Cardinals are a civic institution and a civic trust. I, I hope I do the seat proud. So, yeah, I was I was nervous, still am, because I'm still trying to learn what the patterns are and where to sit on the plane. And, you know, Juan Yepes, who the hell is that guy? I mean, all that stuff. You know, it's the, the analogy I've used is, and I may have said this before, was I'm the new kid in school, but I'm the new kid speaking a foreign language. And it takes a little time to, to get used to all that because, as I said before, in Atlanta, it was automatic. You just knew. Yeah. Uh, and in St. Louis, it's new, it's different, but it sure is exciting. Right, a couple more. We'll let you get yeah, on sure. out of here. The rule changes, which we touched on, yeah. it, it makes us, we, we have to have some brevity now in leading our partners or telling a story. Mm-hmm. Of the rule changes, are there any that you say, hmm, not so sure of? Uh, the one uh, that happened in our first game of this series, uh, the uh, replay review one. The game moves so fast, uh, I don't know how uh, managers, if they want to challenge 15 seconds, is enough. On a run scoring play, I'd like to see more time. Uh, the pitch clock, I like it. Um, I'd like to see it 20 seconds for everything. Because as you know, in our business, five seconds, you can show a replay. You can sell a sales element. And the challenge I think we have to your point, Brevity, obviously that's a problem for me, is um, how do we highlight a great play or a or an instructive moment? We don't have time to sell the product, I think, as effectively as we can. I understand what baseball is trying to do. I just worry that fast is almost too fast. I mean, two hours and 14 minutes at Coors Field. I mean, that's that's unheard of, right? Great, but unheard of. So um, I like the I like the concept of the pitch clock. I'd like to see it tweaked a little bit. Uh, the shift thing I think has been good for everybody. We're seeing hits all over the place, offenses up, and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean I, I credit baseball for trying to give the fans what they want, which is more action. And every other sport has no trouble tweaking and changing things to try to keep pace with current trends. I think that's great. And the best thing of all is if it doesn't work, they can always change it back. It may have kept the late, 
great, great Vin Scully still coming to Denver because I'll never forget this. He walked out of his booth, your booth, now the visiting booth, at around the same time one day, many years ago, um, and it was one of those three-hour and 57-minute Rocky, nine-inning, 14 to 12 games with the Dodgers. And he looked at me in that beautiful voice of his, and he said, Drew, don't they ever play crisp two-hour and 40-minute games here? And now I can tell Vin watching from above, yes, yes, Vin, they actually do. Well, I'm going to give you an unsolicited endorsement here. I don't know what they paid you in the past, but you were the most underpaid broadcaster in history. Every day it's four hours. No, but that's that's, that's part of it. Um, You know, we have an obligation to serve our customers, right? I mean, Kelly McGregor's quote, which is in the tunnel, right? Service above self, right? Everybody matters, all that stuff. It's not all about the buck. Let's give our, let's try to give our fans what they want, which is a great time, action, an enjoyable time. It's not going to take four hours out of their life. It's not a hassle to get here. Let's let them watch the games and let them fall in love with it like we do. And I think if we do that, and if we could somehow mimic the excitement of the WBC and the way those games were played with the crowds, baseball would once again be king, not just in America, but worldwide. And I think we'll get there eventually. Yeah, well put. Last one. We're in the National League landscape. Do the Cardinals really talent, especially offensively? Yeah. Uh, where do they fall with you know the New York Mets, your old club, the Atlanta Braves of the world, out west, the Padres, the Dodgers? Where do you project them? We're not playing real well right now. Uh, dropping seven out of ten, I don't think was anybody's plan to start the season. That makes it a little more challenging. I think, uh, but don't worry, there's 152 more for all those who are panicking well, in Missouri. You know the BFIBs, how they operate, right? Every day is, is DEFCON 1. I think it's going to come down very simply due to how the starting pitching goes. And we overcomplicate the game. If you pitch, as you know, if you pitch, you win. And uh, so far, the starters haven't pitched particularly well. Uh, they're going to get Adam Wayne right back. They've got some options in the minor leagues. But I think ultimately what we'll probably see is what John Mosellock has done in the past. They've got so much organizational depth that at the deadline, if they can identify a controllable top-of-the-rotation guy, I think that's going to be the difference maker for the Cardinals. They haven't had that guy in a while. Um, you know, They traded uh, Alcantara and Zach Gallen for Marcelo Zuna. That deal didn't work out well because they needed offense. And I don't think anybody could have projected what they gave away. But that's what this team needs. They need a stopper, a guy that's going to walk out and say, okay, we're winning today and let's go right now it's it's well we hope to get five and we hope that these guys are going to pitch better and we certainly hope that they pitch a lot better tonight in game two we're a little upset at the first uh first to match up with the coloradoans chip congrats on the on the new gig thanks buddy keep them laughing brother toasted ravioli on me when you get to st louis you got it you're on big thanks to uh chip carry and continued success to chip and uh, and now to his boys embarking on it, and of course uh, my son Zach is uh, is not far away once his uh, his college career is done and of uh, heading down that path uh, he hopes as well. Um, shout out to Kyle Freeland who, as we tape two and zero, has yet to give up a run, and uh, along with Herman needs to lead that uh, Rocky staff, and we send him good mojo because he was our guest last week. And um, good vibes coming from the uh, from the podcast to Kyle Freeland to shut out uh, shut out starts to begin his 2023, and we uh, we hope he keeps it uh, rolling naturally. That'll do it for this edition. We'll uh, chit chat with you again in seven days. Stay safe, stay well, and uh, we'll talk soon. <laughs>